Welcome into the Harvest Friends. We are here to bring you the confidence and clarity you need to be a disciple and make disciples in the everyday places of life. I'm Abigail Wilson. And I'm Andrew Stroud. Hi, Andrew. So it's just the two of us today because we are doing another one of our book reviews. And Keith gets off the hook for the book reviews. Right. I mean, I, I dragged you into this book. Um, yeah, probably would have been a bridge too far to to drag Lakeith into. I would for sure not have dragged literally anyone in. It's not that I didn't like the book, but I had to wear my glasses today because um, I need for you as viewers and listeners to know that I'm really trying to be smart. Um, this book was a roll. <laughs> I'm going to hold it up for you. Okay, so this is the book that we are reviewing today. It's called How Not to Be Secular by James K.A. Smith. I wonder what the K and the A stand for. Yeah, anyway, sure. this is one of Andrew's favorite books. And so it seemed only fair that I would read that with him. Um, and we're going to talk about it today. But before we get into that, um, you know, it's been some really crazy times here in the United States this last week really sobering and difficult times for pretty much everyone who's got eyes to see and social media to observe. Um, so we just wanted to uh, just acknowledge that and just acknowledge the hardness of this time. Um, we at Into the Harvest are trying our best to pull together a, an episode where we talk about um, these issues of racism in our country. Um, and we would also love to hear from you, uh, particularly questions that you might have that you want to bring um, to Into the Harvest. Uh, we're going to have some, some guests um, on uh, that would have maybe some better insights than we would have. And uh, we think it's going to be a really good conversation. And that's what we hope it to be. But we're working on that, right, Andrew? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. I mean, we're recording this on Monday, um, the episode June 1st, and the episode will come out on Thursday. But um, yeah, lots going on in our country over the past week. Um, and, and we want to, to talk about it. And like you said, Abigail, we want it to be a conversation. So we, we plan on, on having a conversation about race, religion, and the way of Jesus in modern America. But we really do want to hear from our community. You know, what are some of the issues or questions that you think are, are most relevant um, for the, the followers of Jesus to be grappling with um, at this moment? And so, you know, you know let us know. Um, you can email us at info at intotheharvest.org or message us over on Instagram or on Facebook. And um, we'd love to get those questions and have them be part of the conversation we're going to have here in the, uh, the coming weeks. Yeah, this really kind of fits with um, something you and I were talking about this last week of how um, we at Into the Harvest and just in our personal lives really want to be students of scripture and, you know, help all of us to do better at that, um, be better at that, and then also be students of people and just uh, be observant of how humans interact and how they think and how they are. And then also just students of the cultural moment that we're in. And this book that we're going to be talking about today really fits into that. Um, but also, you know, our current events fit into that too. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those can be the hardest, I mean, for me personally, I guess that's just my opinion, um, hardest things to kind of speak to because they're very present and there's a lot of emotion involved, um, but we're going to do our very best. So stay tuned for that. Um, and today we have a book and it's a very scholarly book. 
Andrew, I'm pretty sure this was somebody's like thesis or something. Yeah, it's it, intense. It, it very well may have be, may have been, and it's kind of interesting. I don't know if this is my favorite book, but it has been one of the best books I've read over the past two years. And I'm pretty sure that I came across it um, like an Amazon recommends. I was on Amazon at some point buying a different book and this one popped up and I knew really nothing about it, but I read a little bit of the intro and the description. I thought, oh, this sounds interesting. I bought it. And this is sort of um, a weakness of mine. I'll have a stack of books that I'm going to read. And, and this book probably sat around for close to a year before I began to read it. Um, but right from the very beginning, I was drawn in by it because of that third point that you made, Abigail. You know, disciple makers, we need to be students of the scripture, of the message itself, of Jesus. You know, we need to be students of people, but we also need to be students of the cultural moment that we live in um, because that's really the environment where we're making disciples. And that's where I think this book can really help uh, disciple makers get a better grasp of where are we at in, with society in, in our world, and especially here in the West? Um, what's the context that we find ourselves in as disciple makers of Jesus? Um, and he really starts out, we were discussing this a little bit before we hit record, but he really starts out by talking about maps. So Abigail, what about maps was helpful for us as we were beginning to read this book? Yeah, the intro is our preface, I should say. The preface is really good, and I could see why that it would sell you on the whole book. I got excited when I read the preface. Spoiler alert, listeners, I didn't love this book, <laughs> but not because I disagreed with anything I read or I didn't learn things. I'm just clearly just dumber than Andrew. Like, I um, am not in the season of life to read books that have so many words that I have to look up. Anyway, it's fine. I just want everyone to know um, that if you're like me and you pick this up, don't expect it to be an easy read. Okay. But um, the, the preface was great. I actually want to read what this says because I think um, it's really good. And I think it, it, it lays out kind of the need for the book, kind of why it would be important to read it. Okay. So it says that, um, where do I want to pick up? So your secular neighbors aren't looking for answers for some bit of information that is missing from their mental maps. To the contrary, they have completely different maps. You've realized that instead of nagging questions about God or the afterlife, your neighbors are oriented by all sorts of longing and projects and quests for significance. There doesn't seem to be anything missing from their lives. So you can't just come proclaiming the good news of Jesus who fills their God-shaped hole. They don't have any sense that the secular lives they've constructed are missing the second floor. And basically, uh, I guess I'll end there. It's, it's all really good, but they're completely using a different map. Um, and this book is all about helping us kind of understand the map that our neighbors and friends are are kind of coming from, um, and we as believers can really be on a completely different page, a different map altogether. So this book um, did a good job of kind of laying the framework. I mean, it goes way back in history, which I do enjoy history, but guess what? I don't just know what philosophers stand for. Like he just would like name them off casually, and then I would have to go Google them and find out what their Wikipedia page said. So Andrew, you're just way smarter. Apparently, how did you handle that? No, I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm way smarter. Smarter at all. But I, I do like the way that you are 
you're definitely pacing our listeners to know that if they pick up this book, um, and I think we even talked about that, that, you know, the book is only maybe 130 pages. So it's not a, it's not a long book, no. but it is so dense. Um, it, it is not, you can't read it quickly. It, it takes some time to read. Um, and he does use a lot of uh, big words. I think he made up quite a few words. Yeah, he uh, has a glossary okay. just for those words. Yeah, exactly. uh, it is okay. So I, that was just my my little uh, footnote for people, just so that yeah. you know that when you pick it up, you won't think, "Oh, Abigail, she really got this and understood right. it deeply." Right. Andrew well, may have, but Abigail didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, she Abigail she, she followed all of it. But it, but it is one that you've got to be actively reading, thinking. Yeah. Um, so we're not going to be able to dive into every aspect of this book, but we do want to touch on a few of the highlights that we think are most relevant to people who are wanting to make disciples in the everyday places of life. And, and the first one, Abigail, is that idea of our neighbors who are outside of the church operating by totally different maps, that they're trying to navigate through life um, with a totally different uh, map and um, than a lot of us as believers are. And our maps are essentially outdated. And he has a, a pretty good quote about the shift that's taken place in the world, especially the Western world. But that's really driven uh, our global society over the past 500 years. And so let me just read this. He says, um, he asked the question, so how did we get here? How did we get from a time in say 1500 in which atheism was virtually unthinkable to a time in 2000 when theism is almost unbelievable. And I think that that's, that's the question. And that's what he's trying to, to trace. So for many of us as, as believers, um, we don't understand how as a society that, that shift has happened. Um, how did it get from that point where you know, 500 years ago, atheism would have been unthinkable now faith is almost unbelievable and that's the time so we can't operate um we can't just continue to operate as if things haven't shifted you know we need to be aware of the the age that we live in and tracing how we got here from from that place 500 years ago i think was pretty helpful yeah and it really was fascinating i had never thought about that particular um, results of the Reformation, um, but he talks about how having the um, Catholicism and Protestantism kind of coming into play and saying, hey, this isn't the way we should be doing things, actually started this whole uh, train, I guess, towards uh, this modernism view, this uh, view of, you know, there being no God and we're just, you know, humans in this universe. Uh, I had never thought that that would be a consequence, but it made a lot of sense the way he sort of laid out his argument of just the idea that until that point, you know, the Catholic church, which is, you know, means the universal church, right? So it's everybody. Um, it was so ingrained into just everything that they did um, that it really did speak to. It was their map. Like they were born into it and they were born into a world where there was a God and it was very structured and very, you know, there was no question. Uh, you didn't question your priest. Uh, you were told what to do. 
And so when that was taken apart and when there was added in this element of, of less formal, um, less structured forms of, of belief, it added in this element of people having the ability to start to make choices on their own. It's crazy, really good. So I don't know yeah. if I said it correctly. Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah. You know, folks will have to read the book to really <laughs> dig into how he does that. But you're right. I mean, so so basically, the the other thing that this book talks about is how all of us are shaped by stories, much more so than we would like to admit. We're actually going to come back to that um, next week in the conversation that we have. But there's this idea. So so the story that's been told by um, you know, the modern age, uh, those who would uh, ascribe to um, the modern view of the world, which would be very materialistic, humanistic, um, possibly even atheistic for some folks. But the, the story that's told about how did we get here, it's, it's what he describes as subtraction stories. And so essentially, once we got rid of all of the, the fairy tales and our enslavement to these these beliefs in a higher power and we began to just deal with the reality of earth as it is the, the scientific approach to understanding life um, once we subtracted out religion we were finally able to begin progressing into enlightenment and into the rational world that we now inhabit but he actually flips that on its head and he says no um, the modern world that we live in is not the result of subtracting out religion. Religion actually gave birth to the modern world. And so um, chapter two of the book is actually titled The Religious Path to Exclusive Humanism, from Deism to Atheism. And he does a pretty convincing job of tracing how this move to reform the church way back in the 16th century actually put us on a path that led us to a point where um, we no longer see the church as being relevant or or necessary. So it's, it's a pretty, um, he views the modern world as a religious accomplishment that, that we've arrived at where we are today because of reforms that were begun within the Christian faith in particular. Yes. <laughs> just thinking about like reading those chapters you just said it so like no big deal that's what happened it it was hard to read all that and i did get it eventually it was just rough in getting there okay so let's um okay go ahead well so, so i think once you begin to we're going to use some some modern day examples like some some everyday examples from this week's news story um but one of them is uh, a tweet from Russell Wilson. And I just wanted to, to touch on this as an example of where we find ourselves. And so just two days ago on May the 30th, uh, Russell Wilson, who is the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks, pretty um, popular guy, very well-known, famous, has millions of followers on Twitter. Um, he tweeted out a, a simple one-sentence statement. Jesus, we need you now in light of all of the turmoil and injustice that we see in our country. So that's his tweet. No other commentary. What, what do you think the response was to that tweet? Uh, well, it's Twitter, so it wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was pretty brutal. You can scroll through the responses. Now, that's a pretty benign statement. Jesus, we need you now. It's not, uh, you would think, not very controversial. Um, but um, here's just one of the responses. No, dude. The current system needs to be torn down, and we need to build a new one in its place. Jesus doesn't exist. There's literally no evidence that he ever did. So... <laughs> Sorry. I mean, anytime you just start with no dude, I'm going to really believe what you have to say. <laughs> but I would say that that's actually, no um, <laughs> I would say that that would be characteristic of, of a lot of the responses that were tweeted um, in response to a simple tweet of Jesus, we need you now. So it's, it's not even that you can have people of faith and people who don't share that same faith. Um, faith is actually seen as counterproductive by many people in, in our society and, and our culture today as something that's actually getting in the way of the human race reaching its potential. Um, and that kind of goes back to this idea of people being on totally different maps. So whereas Russell Wilson would say, hey, we've got a problem and Jesus is part of the answer. Like We need Jesus to show up and help us. And the world would say, no, that, that's actually counterproductive. Not, not only is that not helpful, but that is part of the problem. And so mm -hmm. that's, um, it, it's good for us to, to just understand where we're at, but also how we got here. And I think the book does a pretty good job of helping trace that. Yeah. And I mean, that is important for us to realize that what, what we might think is a sort of benign statement or like just goes without saying like that's probably how he felt when he put it out there like he was feeling it in his heart like yep. he knew jesus um and to others it was almost offensive because to them he wasn't even addressing the problem with the solution you know they're right. like jesus that's not gonna help us here with this issue um and i think that's where we're missing each other on you know our two different tracks our two different maps okay so let's kind of move forward here andrew um, in our notes here, you had put exclusive humanism and the imminent frame. You made the notes. I then had to go back into the book today and I wrote out the definitions of those words so that in this moment I wouldn't forget. So nice. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. Well, we probably don't have to spend too much time on that. Um, because I know we've got a couple of down the definitions. To to. We're gonna talk about it. I was gonna just say, why don't you go ahead and just okay. give us your your <laughs> I your will from them. I'm going to. <laughs> All right. So basically the idea is that we no longer have a need for any kind of supernatural input into our current frame. So when we have any kind of a problem like we do currently, there is no looking towards a mm -hmm. Jesus, no looking for a savior at all. And the eminent frame is really the idea that we can seek and find complete wholeness in this existence. So there's no afterlife, there's no something to look to, some fullness that we can aspire to here. No, it's all possible here in this life and in this age. And that's what everyone is in constant work to try to get to, but they believe that it's possible. And so that's how, you know, we get to, to where we are. So how, how is that? Did I do a good job? You, you did a, you did a great <laughs> job. Uh, yeah. The eminent frame is, is like you said, just the idea that, um, 
everything that we can know about reality can be determined by the material universe that that there's nothing beyond that that there that there is no um mystery no no spiritual um and that if we're going to find the answers we're going to have to look for them in what we can see what we can what we can know what we can research um what's imminent that uh, around us so yeah that's a that's a good job of describing those two that said though it kind of goes on and this is was really where i got a lot of information from was um kind of i don't know like towards the end of the book it sort of talks about how this imminent frame um can turn into you know less of just deduction but actually a vibe is what he wrote so um the quote was there is less fruit of a de- of deduction and more a vibe it is less a reasoned position or articulate word worldview and more just like this feeling of what's right and wrong and like right. that's where we now live and that is super frustrating but it was really great to have someone just like write it down in a book for me because you do you can get into conversations with people and kind of go in circles because mm-hmm. they are really their facts are just a vibe <laughs> like genuinely yeah. like well and maybe there's some science in there and i'm not at all discounting science but um i think we can live in a world with both but uh instead it's just this idea of really what you feel to be true yeah this was another really important point that i thought he he made in the book and that is he called it he describes it there as a vibe a feeling he also describes it as a social imaginary, which is another kind of definitely a nerd term. But it's the idea of that, that all of us, the, the way we make sense of the world is absolutely colored by assumptions that we grow up with. So we're brought up within a culture, um, within a way of thinking and viewing the world, whether you have faith or, or otherwise, your, your view of the world, your your imagination of the world that you live in is colored by that prevailing way of thinking. Even if you have not taken the time to do research and to really thoughtfully piece together your beliefs, your views, it, it doesn't really matter. All of us are, are being colored by the, the prevailing view of the world. So if we went back to the 1500s, the social imaginary would have been completely different. People would have simply accepted that that God is out there, that there that there is a spiritual dimension to life, and and that would have colored whether they were priests, whether they had studied or read the Bible or not. The the social imaginary would have been defaulted to this view that that the world as we see it is not all that there is. Um, now the social imaginary is is the other side of the spectrum that that there is not this um this higher plane of existence that there is not a higher power or if if there is a higher power you can't really know um who or what it is and so um the reason that's so important is because you you have it it flares up in in things like this tweet and we'll have some other examples here I, i know that you had read um michelle obama's book um recently and had some some thoughts that that kind of stuck out to you based on reading this book on how not to be secular. So um, this, this idea, this, this vibe, this feeling, um, it shows up for all of us when, when we 
are in times of, of stress or pressure. And when we're trying to really make sense of what's happening, we're going to default to that, that prevailing view of life and reality. Yeah. And I think it's worth mentioning that we see this in people who would describe themselves as believers as well. And this is where we have a, you know, a real problem that, you know, we all need to realize in the sense that if we are not being students of scripture, then we can fall into this trap too, where we're kind of just like going off feelings, going off maybe like bits and pieces of what our parents have taught us and what society has just taught us about religion. And so there's no real um, footing for us. We're just kind of floating about, in this, you know, I feel kind of this way. Um, one of the, I will get to the Michelle Obama thing, but it also, um, there was a really good section and you, I think you have it, uh, the quote uh, about uh, the therapist mentality. Can you kind of pull that up for me? Because yeah, I really, I, mean, I, I will butcher it if I kind of give a. Right. Yeah, I can read that if you want. He says, um, uh, Taylor, so this book is actually, it's actually a book that is, it's written about another book. So if you kind of read the, uh, the subtitle there at the very bottom, it says reading Charles Taylor. So this was the easy book. This was the light reading. Uh, apparently, Charles Taylor wrote a, a really difficult book called Secular Age. Um, so he says, Taylor is interested in the significant cultural shifts that have taken place in how we talk about um, this shift of, of evil and brokenness. So when we're trying to figure out where does evil and brokenness come from, there's been a cultural shift that's taken place. And we've moved from talking about sin to talking about sickness. In modernity, there is no room for Lucifer. What's wrong with me is more like a disease that befalls me than a disorder for which I am responsible. So in the name of securing our freedom from God, we swap submission to the priest for submission to the therapist. I think Super that's the good. one you were thinking about. Yes. I thought that was so good. And I was even convicted on that. Like, I think that has, you know there is part of that like enlightenment, I guess, of, you know, now we understand the brain better and we can prescribe drugs and so forth. And I think that's important that we have de made developments in science. Um, I was telling Andrew about when I was reading kind of this whole section, I was thinking about the coronavirus in light of this and how in my own um, my own thought process about the coronavirus, I was very much falling into this mentality of, you know, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he was not surprised by any of this, but I was just kind of living in, this was my reality. Um, my kids on the other hand, immediately started praying. They were like, mm -hmm. God, get rid of the coronavirus. And I was like, oh, I mean, I hadn't even thought to, <laughs> isn't that horrible, <laughs> but I haven't. No. And so, um, that, I think that's I, what he's he, he's talking about in in that all of us are are colored by this by this view. It's not just unbelievers who have this view of, hey, the solutions are going to come from the ground up, not from the top down. Belie believers, we as well, we have been influenced by that that view because it's the prevailing story of our age. Yeah, so it was very challenging and good for me to be just be reminded by my children. And they're just, you know, they don't have any understanding of science. So they were just kind of like, well, Jesus will take care of it. And I, when I thought about it, I thought, you know what? 
it is a good thing for me to pray about because I believe that God has been in so many scientific discoveries and has helped the brains of so many humans to discover incredible life-saving things. Um, so I believe in all of that. But for a little bit there, I had left my beliefs out of my current environment, which was really a wrong thing. Um, so I did want to bring up the Michelle Obama um, book, uh, which I read, I guess, last year when it came out. It's called Becoming. Um, I found it really fascinating and it was a good read. Um, however, I was so struck and saddened when I kind of got to the end of the book and she and um, Barack were leaving office and they had just done all these things in their, their term, you know, of, of, uh, you know, with healthcare and with social justice and all the things that they, they were sure was going to change the world. And they believed it in their heart of hearts. And I mean, it's her book. So she gets to tell us what she thinks. And I have no reason to not believe her when she says that, that it was, they really felt like they were going to change the world with Mm -hmm. politics. And at the end of the book, Trump takes office. And she doesn't really say too much about it, but she does really get across her feeling of defeat, of that things are just going to start a new cycle of, you know, this now conservative government coming in. And she just felt like they lost, like it didn't work. And she was, it was devastating. And I felt that, I felt that from her book and from her. And I thought about how we even as believers can get caught up in what we think is gonna be the salvation for whatever is going on. And a lot of times we just get super practical um, in what we think is gonna work. When in reality, bottom line, it has to be Jesus. And I just, I wanted to like crawl through and like have a conversation with Michelle Obama. Um, I her faith is, was very, very uh, secular. And I think they got married in a church, but other than that, I mean, she would just a hundred percent was a lot of what this book was talking about. Just believing in mankind and mankind's goodness and mankind's ability to fix things. And uh, in the end, it just, it always falls short. Uh, So I think the book was a great picture of all that and a good reminder for me to see the realities of what we were in. One thing that I think the book does a good job of, of saying is that if we're not careful as believers, we can be written off by society at large as being irrelevant, as, as not having um, anything of value to add to the real problems of the world and society that, that we're a part of. And we know that we have the ultimate answers to that problem, which is Jesus himself. Uh, God himself is the hero and the savior of his own story. Um, and, and yet we, we need to also understand that people aren't coming from, they're, they're not coming to these problems with that even being an option. And so the way we communicate and the, our willingness to enter into the, uh, the real issues and struggles of the day, being, being more aware and alert to where many of our neighbors are at in terms of their thinking and their view of the world is, is I think, is critical. So um, if we just give simple um, religious answers to, to the issues and the challenges that are being faced by people, um, it's very easy 
for that to be written off. And so it's, it's a good thing for us to be aware of. You know, the, the last thing, Abigail, that we wanted to point out about the book as we wrap up here is he does, I think, a really great job of describing this age, the, the, the modern world, as one of uncertainty and doubt. And so he's actually got a quote. He says, we don't believe instead of doubting. We believe while doubting. Uh, we're all Thomas now. And I like that. So even for us, even for those of us who have faith, if, if you don't have unanswered questions, then you're probably not asking hard questions. Um, you know, if you feel like you've got all the answers, I should say, then you're probably not asking the hard questions. Um, so all of us live with doubt and faith, believers and unbelievers alike, um, unless you're, you're a fundamentalist. And, and you can be a fundamentalist on the side of belief, and you can be a fundamentalist on the side of disbelief or, or atheism. And the, the, the mark of a fundamentalist is certainty. They're convinced that they've got the answers and everyone else is just foolish or uh, blind. And so you can be, you can have that attitude if you are a person of faith. You can, there, there are a lot of atheists that I keep track of that seem to have the same uh, mindset that only uh, fools and, and the naive um, would doubt this. So um, I would say that that was um, really helpful for me the idea of living with uncertainty, just being part of what it means to be human. And so we can embrace that uh, as believers, that we don't have to have all the answers, and we don't. Um, but yeah, did that stand out to you as, you as you read the book? Yes, absolutely. And I, I think that was that's a comfort to us and helpful as we um, find ourselves in in situations where we need to have some apologetics and we're, you know, needing to have some answers for some hard questions. And so uh, this book was really good to kind of get the, the how did we get here? And also um, just that reminder of um, when I, when I think about people that don't agree with me, how they got there. And so there's a little bit of sympathy. Um, I'm going to just end us with, um, are both of our views. Andrew 100% thinks you should read this book. Um, I say read this book if you have time on your hands to also have a dictionary next to you and time to like think deep thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, to me, Andrew, like reading books like Michelle Obama's book or really I just have been reading a bunch of biographies. I love biographies all the time, but to me, like when I, I like to just read about people that are atheists and, and then have these different mindsets, it reminds me that they're right. humans and how they're thinking and they're not just idiots, that they have, you know, some thoughts and it gives me compassion. Um, and those kind of help me more, but that's okay. I still, <laughs> I still appreciate you. Well, I, your I nerdy don't, self. <laughs> I don't, I don't not do that. Um, in fact, uh, one of the podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis is uh, Sam Harris's podcast, Making Sense. But I have to say that, you know, reading this book and then I listened to a conversation he had last week with um, um, Yuval Harari, I think is, is his name, uh, pretty well-known uh, atheist author. Um, and they were talking about the coronavirus and it was like right out of this book that... Um, they were talking about how, hey, 500 years ago, there would have been a totally different reaction to the coronavirus, and it would have been seen as God's judgment, and people would have been praying, and 
and probably doing, you know, looking to the priest for solutions. And now we've, we've moved beyond that. Um, now we know that if there's going to be a solution to the coronavirus, it's going to come from mankind. It's going to come from the scientists. And I thought, man, that's, that is a great picture of someone who's living by exclusive humanism and the imminent frame that they, they're not looking, they don't, they're not even considering that there might be help beyond uh, humanity, beyond the created order. So um, yeah, I, I would love to hear from folks if they do decide to read this, but I, I like the fact we're doing book reviews, not book promotions. So I'm totally down with, with you having a less excited view. And I, I appreciate you reading the book with me. I, I am glad you did. I'm glad I had to read it because I wouldn't have otherwise. And I definitely came away with a greater understanding and I do really appreciate it. Um, and I think that we really, this is a timely book uh, for sure. For one, it's about our current age, but as we have just dealt with the coronavirus and now dealing um, which people were like, science is the answer. And now I guess with um, the issues, the, just the culmination, just expediting of our racial, racial issues in the country, um, I guess people are assuming that humans are also the answer there too. So we're really being faced with some really crucial and huge issues as a nation. Um, yeah. And so it's going to be really interesting to see um, how people turn to what are they going to turn to? Uh, and we hope that we can bring Jesus into that conversation in a way that people can respond to. So more to come. We hope you will read this book, uh, how not to be secular. If you do, and if you're in the middle of it and you come to, I don't know, whole pages where you don't understand the words, you know, shoot me a message. I would love to hear from you and uh, commiserate with you on how great that is. Uh, also, if you read the whole thing and love it, also send us a message. Let us know what your what stood out to you. We probably did not cover half of all the cool stuff that were, was in the book. So the conversation continues. But thanks again for listening to this one. It was tons of fun. Thanks, Andrew. Yep. We'll talk to you next week, Abigail. All right. Bye, guys. Thanks for being part of our community. If you find this podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. You can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you happen to listen to it. You can share it on social media with your friends. Or you can support it directly by visiting our website, intotheharvest.org, clicking on the donate link, and becoming a monthly giving partner. When you do this, you'll receive a thank you package with some great ITH gear. Thank you for supporting the show and helping our small team make a big difference for Jesus. It's listeners like you that make this ministry possible.